1: That we are not clinical experts, and if you need professional help, there will be some links and resources listed in the podcast description, as well as in our newsletter, which you can sign up to receive at las.com slash newsletters. Hello friends. The past week has been exhausting for a multitude of reasons. I'm having a really hard time getting anything done with ease. I haven't been sleeping well, I'm angry, I'm having those old familiar feelings of despair. What could it be? I ask myself. And then I realize what has been affecting me once again is white supremacy. This week, Adam Toledo was murdered by police. He was 13 years old. He loved SpongeBob, zombies, Legos, and riding his bike. Also, this week, yet another black man was murdered by police Dante Wright. He was 20 years old. He was a son, a father, a brother, an uncle. He was human. Rest in power. Abolish the fucking police. It is clear that we cannot rely on reform because policing is a system that was founded during slavery for the purpose of slave catching. And as long as it remains, it will be rooted in that violence. That is why we must abolish the police and replace it with a system based on the needs of our communities. A system of support, education, mental and physical health care, meaningful jobs and housing. Universal health care. If we do not do this, we will not be able to protect the lives of black and brown people. But how do we dismantle these institutions that hold so much power? I've learned from others over the years who are listening to and studying humanity. People who are looking at the history of not only systemic oppression, but how to actually dismantle it and replace it with systems of care and healing. We must listen to black people. Period. We must support organizations who are focused on the healing of our most vulnerable. I'd like to imagine a world where people are free from the systemic oppression of white supremacy, the patriarchy, and capitalism. Let's imagine a world where intersectional mental health is accessible across all identities. We need more programs like Therapy for Black Girls and Latinx Therapy. We have to start listening to people who are the most affected by this violence. It is that simple. Jenea Future Khan, the incredible social activist, Organizer, co-founder of BLM Toronto, international ambassador for the BLM network, boxer, teacher, storyteller, beautiful human, and just so much more. I've had the honor of knowing them through the work they do in creating systemic change. They are so freaking badass and inspiring. They have worked tirelessly in the fight for equality. And they are a constant source of genius, which I am always happy to learn from. I'm always left speechless by their knowledge and their truth. They are one of the many people I look up to in the movement for change. The love they have shown our community is revolutionary. Listen up. (laughs) And so anyway, um... (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay. So total disclaimer: um, I'm yeah. not. I'm not a podcaster. Um, I, I was about
0: to ask you. Yeah. Nah,
1: I'm not. Clearly, I'm like. I'm so. I'm gonna have like my notes here, and I'm like. No, I'm just, totally. I'm just doing my best. That's. This is all I can offer. Um, it's so great. Ha- thank you. So it's great, I'm, I'm,
0: and actually, <laughs> it actually works with with the with the brand, right? Right.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm like. Okay. I'm like. I'm like. I'm not okay. So yeah, I'm trying I'm shit okay. out. Yeah, that I'm not good at. It's um, honest. It's yeah. not
0: polished. It's honest.
1: That's all I have. I know. Yeah. I'm. I'm honestly anything but polished. And I think. I, I think my entire life I've been striving for polish. And like the more I I strive for it, the more I'm not. And I think that's where I need to. I I need to like just take that information in and own it and just
2: mm-hmm.
1: I think be you know. Um, I always see you speak and I'm like how do they do that? And like, how do they find that, how do they find those words and how can they string them together and how do they all make sense? How, how do you do that?
0: <laughs> I don't know. Mm. And this is so interesting because I'm really curious about your take on that because you, you know what it's like to completely embody somebody else mm. and make that person real. And so, and you do that very well in an industry that isn't favorable mm. um, for people who look like you, uh, who have the thoughts that you have, um, who have the complexion that you have. I know things are changing. Um, and it's interesting because I want to know about the tension between what it's like to be scripted as somebody else and what that does for you. So I'm going to ask you about that in a second. Okay. Um, but for me, a script, to script myself, I'm the worst speaker on the mm. planet. I have tried, you know, I've, I've studied the craft. I think that's, that's a big part of it. Like I wanna say, oh, it's just, I'm special. But I really think that, you know, two things happen and it really has nothing to do with being special. Um, one is that I study, uh, I really study what people have said before,
2: mm-hmm. what
0: we're saying now, Mm-hmm. Um, I study speeches um and that's not through school or I just watch a lot of speeches, and I study what people don't say. what do we struggle to say, and I think always if I'm not sure what to say, how do I feel
2: mm. and
0: i you know part of the work of organizing everything else is being on pulse with everybody else, mm-hmm. you know with the political economy, the climate, how people are feeling, so I just speak from that place. So the first one is study. The second one is, I do believe that there's a supernatural element anytime mm. we all come together. You know So I, I think the study of speech, speeches, uh, techniques of people um, really matter for me, and then two is trusting the supernatural thing that happens whenever we get together. Mm. Um, you know And I think that's what makes this time so hard is that. Um we are cut off, and I think we 're fine, I think, even for those of us who 'd like to fancy that we're independent and you know one of the funniest narratives, especially coming out of the hood, is always like i'll do this by myself i don't need nobody by myself, you know, and that 's like a re- I grew up with that that was a really big thing mm-hmm. and I think I tried that for a little while, and it didn't really work out for me this whole i i i 'm going to do it by myself, and it more than that it was boring, not only was it harder, it was so boring mm. there's something so special that happens when we're together in a space whether that's around a dinner table or out on the streets protesting and that led me to understand that there's just some parts of us inside of us that can only be accessed through other people Mm. Um, that we can't actually open or unlock them on our own because we are who we are because of other people not just we may have been the clay and everything else but the experiences and the people around us help to shape it as much as we do at a certain point so those two things the study and the supernatural i think have made it so that i feel good (laughs) about opening my mouth and then the you know and then as a practice i know when not to i know when i'm not the best person to speak or i'm not the person who knows what to say about this thing or that and the other and i think that that transparency is really important too now i gotta ask you okay yeah you have this podcast
1: Okay.
0: How did that how did that come to be? Why did that feel like something that you wanted to do now? And you have mentioned um <laughs> struggles with public speaking and that kind of stuff, but you are one of the most visible millennial actors out there. And I know that there's a lot of weight that gets put on your shoulders, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, oh well, you're the voice of the of Latinas and you mm-hmm. know, and that's you know, so you go from scripted to non-scripted to like your life, and what are the tensions there?
1: The need uh, to be in community is is a big one for me Mm -hmm. because I've, essentially I've been alone for a long time. I guess since, I mean, since I was 14, I was by myself. And I kinda, even when I was with my family, you know, I sort of felt a little alone um because you know of the struggles of you know being the kind of family that we were like undocumented whatever and also mentally ill like i think all of us in our in our immediate yeah. family were experiencing mental illness and so um i just wanted to i i feel like i wanted to find some sort of um understanding and the only way to, that i found that was Being with other people and Mm. also trying shit that I really, really wanted to try, even though I wasn't good at it or didn't know how to how to go about it. Um, And then acting really offered um, me a way to. uh, I really struggled with being myself, and so acting was really a way for me to sort of experiment being myself through another character, Mm. Um, and that really helped. Um, I have i don't think I've ever uh, given a speech where I didn't have shit written down. I don't think it, I don't, I haven't discovered which way it works for me anyway. Like I have yeah. things written down. Sometimes I just got to follow word for word. Sometimes I just got to, I'm up there in the podium and I just got to let it go and just allow myself to say the wrong words and to kind of feel nervous and to kind of pull through or not fully answer the question. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yes. Um so I I I just kind of I don't know what it is. Maybe I just like being challenged. Um because mm-hmm. I, I I'm just so I'm so ready to see what happens on the other side. And so every time I have said yes to myself in that way, it's worked out better for me than holding all of that want in. Yeah. I guess. Um and so people keep, you know, allowing me to to work with them,, and, <laughs> yeah. and people keep, you know, um, asking me to be a part of their projects, or, you know, if they have ideas because i'm I'm, you know, I, I'm never really that sure, but I think that when in doubt and and I think this has gotten me in trouble sometimes, but i'm I'm getting better at it. When in doubt, say yes to yourself.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think that that has really um gotten me in these spaces where I never thought I could be and so I'm learning from all these different kinds of people and while I see you speaking the truth and these ideas connect with some of the feelings I have and some of my right. ideas I'm like damn if I understand them clearly then even though my ideas are sort of the same but not as clear then I'm in the right I'm on the right track
0: yeah there's a way- we, social media is weird. Social media is weird. Influencer culture is weird. Mm-hmm. Celebrity culture is weird. I think it, mm-hmm. and it's not uniquely weird. I think that there's this idea that it is. And I'm like, no, it's, it's what, it's an exaggerated form of the inevitable reality of our darkest or brightest wants. Like it really It really is, I think, Mm -hmm. you know, and some people get punished for that and others don't, right? Like ambition, desire is something that is really celebrated in male and particularly white male in the white male world, but it's very punished. Mm -hmm. It's punished for black people. It's punished for women of color. It's punished for immigrants. And then yet, even though you're punished for it, if you don't achieve this like impossible Mm -hmm. result, you have failed. I, I wrote something about when I was younger, and you know how I grew up in a neighborhood in Toronto that was full of immigrants, largely Caribbean black and Somali. These folks, you know, it was, pro, it was the projects and everything else. You had um, folks coming in as refugees, you had folks coming in as laborers uh, who got mm-hmm. fired or laid off because they found a cheaper labor source. Um, and so a lot of Caribbean people with the legacies mm-hmm. of that um, of domestic workers and, and farmers um, Who no longer could find work because they had been outsourced by folks and the Canada had gone and started to now bring in people who were a less expensive and b more desirable and all of it is equally awful and racist, um, you know, and so uh, it's the legacies of that and then refugees We were in public housing, and these are folks who would regularly be looked at as criminals, as addicts, as lazy. And I thought, these are folks whose yearning was so profound, um, who had crossed oceans, um, who had risked lives. Some didn't make it. Their yearning was so profound, I think it would have burst Anybody else's skin wide open, and they held that yearning and that desire for life um, with such regularity that I thought that the immunization scars were what somebody got when they got older. I had no <laughs> idea how. I thought it was like some ritual you <laughs> had to go through, because the only adults that I knew around me, of course, you know, teachers and everything else, they they were wearing shirts uh, covered up their arms, so I wouldn't know. But um, and the majority of teachers in my school we mm-hmm. Were white, but they were from a different world. All the adults around me had that scar um, on their arm, and I thought that that's just what adults had. That's, I mean, that's how prolific um, that experience was. And so I, I have a, you know, an, and and um, you know, high school was the highest level that my parents um, had achieved for different reasons. Um, my mom wasn't able to finish, and um, there's a there's a way where you're very privileged cuz of course they set up the foundation that personal privilege of what happens even if even through hardship when that foundation of love and desire or whatever is built in and then there's also the the we want to honor that and the mm-hmm. layer the weight of sort of s- kind of feeling like alone um and not knowing how to sort of hold that in the same way or holidays mm-hmm. mean something a little bit different um when everybody lives somewhere else especially now in this pandemic or when you know my mom, like I, you know, her papers are really complicated. I can't Mm -hmm. just fly her out in her mental health. I can't just fly her out here. I have to be able to go to her to make sure that she's good. And I can't with things Mm -hmm. being the way that they are. And so that's something that's been on my mind quite a bit, um, especially now. And uh, I'm just like, where, like, how does that feel for you to hear that?
1: Um, I don't know. I mean, does it, I feel like, well, you know what, kind of you know, experience what what we've experienced a little bit, you know um I hope I, I just wish that people <laughs> could see this and understand what it's like for other people who live this on a daily basis, you know and and yeah, I don't know. I mean l- look right. inward, but also just look outward and see how see how people have been dealing with this forever and and yeah. see. What – look, I've... I've walked around, like, really mad for a long time. Um, and now, like, you know, with my therapist and, like, various coaches, I've learned mm-hmm. that it's okay to be angry and not be attached to anger. So, like, honestly, when I saw folks yeah being really upset that they couldn't see their folks, it was kind of a moment for me to say, well, this is what I've been experiencing, so – you know, how about you, how about you take a look at the way that things work and maybe be yeah. part of something to change things because this is kind of how yeah. people live all the time.
0: I get, I get what you're saying.
1: That's terrible though. I'm not at all an advanced human being.
0: No, no, I know it's not terrible. It's human. I can tell you a moment that was, it was so mundane and it stuck out to me. This was years ago, right, I want to say right before stuff with you know black lives matter picked up and look you don't get into this work the work of organizing or change making especially Mm -hmm. around black issues um Mm -hmm. for clout or for a name it's not there um this is the only country that i have ever been to Mm. that celebritizes activists and only certain kinds Of activists and only certain kinds of activism Um, and it was really disorienting and confusing but where I come from um, which is just next door um, in Canada it's just there is no infrastructure for that there's no money in that you cannot be a career activist or organizer it's something that you do in your free time and you know here it's it's the same thing you know there are most Mm -hmm. most if not all the organizers that I've met have other jobs so that they can make a living and do this because it it speaks to them. And so, you know, you don't get into this. uh, And I remember I was sitting with a friend and they're also like, they're non-binary as well. They're like the Japanese version of me. It was really, I was just like, there's more of me. This is great. Um, But they were talking about someone who just got a job. And, uh, you know, again, where you can work is very limited. And we thought, I thought, well, I was like, oh, that's cool. How much does it pay? And they were like 90K. And I was like, oh. And my friends said something that stuck with me. They were like, I want to get to a point in my life where mm. I can be gracious when somebody else is succeeding. And it was an acknowledgement of two things I think pain and desire, right? Like the pain of feeling like you were dealt a really shit hand, like a really shit hand. Um, you know, they were born and raised in Japan and everything else. And, you know, living in Toronto, queer, all these Mm -hmm. things. And, you know, minus the Japan thing, I think we shared a lot of things in common. Um, And two is this, like, that desire, that kind of, that desire for security, that desire for comfortability, that desire for, for some people, fame, for other people's nobility, you know? And so I think that that's a really human thing.
1: More after the break.
2: The LAS Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism.
1: Now, Jenea, I heard you have a twin.
0: Yeah. We were not close at all growing up. Uh, We didn't come back into each other's lives until in our 20s, 14, really 13, 14, I ended up um, living in group homes and my sister went and lived with a friend and, um, you know, and that causes a divide. But all to say, like, these are really human things. And one thing I love about the fact that we're talking about it is they're usually something that we find, that we hide. That we should be ashamed of want, ashamed of desire. That, um, and whatever those desires are, and I, I think they change over time. But this is a part of who we are. Not everybody gets into activism, quote unquote, for mm-hmm. noble reasons. And I don't need noble reasons.
2: Mm-hmm. I just
0: need your whole heart. You know, I'll start. We can start out with just a part of it. I'll win it over. Yeah. You know, that's like that's my way of it. But we don't. I don't need nobility, and I don't think we have to be. Um, driven always by nobility if we have integrity. And integrity at the heart of it is just being the most you that you can possibly be and the most honest that you can possibly be. And we can't achieve that if we're constantly hiding parts of ourselves that we believe should be punished.
1: Mm, Well, that's Mm. it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's, is that what got you here? Is that that desire? What got you here? What got you to this place of like, you Punishing or trying to seeing that you were punishing those 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 parts of you that had desire and had ambition
0: Um, I didn't have ambition I didn't have desire and it was the absence of those things that actually jostled me into action. Um, Mm -hmm. I Really had no plan um, I had a lot of feelings and no house for them and um, You know luckily very grateful that built into queer communities is a kind of politicization. Like it's very much part of being queer. You know, you're like mm-hmm. you, you know, a raging homosexual and a radical all at the same time, you know, um mm-hmm. raging against the machine too. And um that helped. It gave me a language, you know. Oh yeah, no, Dan, listen, I became like gay lord of the dance real fast. Like I love it. <laughs> like straight up gay lord. No. <laughs> um but no, it's built in, and what it did was it helped give me a language for how I was feeling, mm. and because um, all I had were those b- these big feelings, and you know, if you're not careful, um, you know, those feelings are a hammer, and you either destroy or you build, and uh, I was very destructive, and like most people who were socialized as girls or as women, whatever you want to call it, um, I you you you're socialized to destroy yourself. Mm -hmm. and that's what i was doing every day i was i would look at my hand or metaphorically speaking you know a thumb um an eye a forearm whatever and i was just constantly destroying myself so that i would have something to repair um Mm -hmm. you know and i just had feelings that were just too big and um when i learned about things like racism and sexism and this and that and the other i was like there's a there are words for these things that are inside. There's a word for what happens when I get called a nigger on the bus on the 63 Ossington going to you know my mother's house. There's a reason why my mom didn't have the supports that she needed. You 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 know it intuitively, but language frees you. And Language has always freed Homo sapiens. It's why we were able to create civilizations um, in the way that we have Past more than 150 people. We created gods, we created stories, we created myth, and we, we shared information, and now we're doing it at a rate that was impossible um, previously, which is going to shape our minds and our, everything else, our psyches, all over again. But um, I didn't have... So when I, when I had language, I could stop destroying myself. And I could sort of get some... Like, I could scale. Uh, and then I was able to make some rules for myself and the first one was beware the narcissism of sorrow I mm-hmm. wanted relationships I wanted friends um that weren't just people girls I ran around with doing gang shit you know <laughs> like okay. I wanted that and um I was eight. once I realized that I had to be able to connect to other people's pain because this was me at like 16 17 someone would say oh man like I just got into a fight with my mom. Like, I'm so annoyed. And I, in my head, I'd be like, who fucking cares?
1: Right.
0: Like, who fucking cares? Like, I just slept on a bench. Mm-hmm. I don't give a fuck about this and that and the other. And, you know, those are extreme circumstances. One could say that's a ca- there's a case to be made. Where, but if you need that other person, if you need a witness, which we do, then I have to be able to do that for other people. And I mm-hmm. thought if I'm feeling this way, someone else is most assuredly feeling this way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that one rule, beware the narcissism of sorrow, paired with um, uh, with the language, I was able to start doing sharing something that I loved, which was boxing. Before I knew how to talk about racism and sexism and classism and whatever, on a, at a very rudimentary level, I was like, I don't know how to do that, but I know boxing. So I asked my coach to borrow a bunch of gloves.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I had some mitts and I would go to any conference I could get to any conference and I would do a workshop for free on how to box. And as I got smarter around this stuff, I was able to complicate the narrative around first. It was like, I'll teach you how to box, teach you how to throw a punch. Then it was talking about, I don't know, the marginalization of oppressed people's bodies and blah, blah, blah. And before you know what I'm talking about, the prison industrial complex. And the, but it was these three things, um, you know, the rules, the language. And I think something that I loved. I was finally able to build something out of my pain instead of just using it to bludgeon me over myself over and over and over again, you know?
1: You know, that's similar to what I discovered in myself Mm. and how I carried my own trauma. I felt so angry and I felt betrayed by the world. Like, how dare you, world, do this to me? And that anger slowly seeped into my life. It felt as if there was a war raging inside my body. And it took me a long time to allow myself to feel that anger in a healthy way and almost turn that pain into something that was healthier to carry. Something I didn't have to do on my own. Jenea, how were you able to turn your hurt into healing? I
0: I spent a long time getting very clear on how I wished I was loved. Um, you know, you go through life without a lot of it, um, particularly when you're younger, and that sh- it will eat you up. And so I had to figure out. And thank you know, I, I read a lot of books. I'm a, I'm a huge romantic, um, and fantasy and sci-fi really gave me what I needed in terms of, you know, idealism. Um, what happens when mm-hmm. good is too pure, and how quickly that becomes a kind of evil. Um, you know, love stories and all that stuff, and it was all combined into one. And it helped me understand what love could feel like differently, um, what I wanted love to feel like. The women in the women's shelter, you know, my moments with my mom, uh, you know, even when, you know, she was being eaten alive um, by this world that we live in. Um, I started to wake up. I remember, I think I was. 11, before things really went south, I would wake up in the middle of the night, like 3 a.m., and I'd go out into the living room, and my mom would be watching, like, Laverne and Shirley and I Love Lucy and like, black and white, and I would just sit beside her, and we would just, like, watch it. Um, those moments are our profound love, and so I thought, I'm going to try to say to people what I wish someone had said to me. I'm gonna to try to be the friend to people that I wish someone could be for me. I'm going to show up for people the way that I wish someone would show up for me. And maybe if I do those things, I, I will be able to be prouder of myself. And maybe if I'm lucky, I'll get the kind of community that I, that I desperately longed for. And so um, I'm lucky Once you get clear about who you are, it also gets a lot more free. So much of that has to do with where you are. Um, But for me, at the heart of it, what do I wish that someone would say to me right now? If I don't know what to say, what do I want to hear right now? Um, What is the thing that's eating me up right now? And I just trust that if I'm feeling this way, there's got to be other people who are feeling it too. and a lot of listening i i you know when you're in pain it's really hard to listen cuz all you can hear all you can hear is your own demons your own heart it it's telling you all the time you're not enough no one's ever going to love you you're never going to be anything you might even have some success and you're still having these things um if you're not constantly being petted or held or loved in those moments mm-hmm. in the way in the only way that you understand love to be legible which is through a kind of obsession you're like, I need more, I need more, I need more. And you're, every pore on your body is like an open mouth. You know, and um, you have to, that chip on your shoulder, it becomes a boulder
2: mm-hmm. in,
0: you know, in your late 20s mm-hmm. <laughs> and early 30s. And you realize you can't carry that shit anymore. And you either, you, you have to take it and drop it and break that shit down and build something up, you know, or build it around yourself and keep everybody out you know um so the pain of getting through my pain was what i had to do first because otherwise nobody should they shouldn't trust me that doesn't mean i'm like i'm but if the only is the loudest voice in my head is my pain i'm not trustworthy Mm -hmm. because that's always going to tell me something different the goalpost for success is always going to be changing so that my everything that i say Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is going to be around ego um as a leader and so I understood that if I wanted to do this well, that I had to decenter myself in a way. And then, and I wonder if you have this ex- experience too. Is like, you get, you I, know, you're you're trying, you get. To, I I really put myself on the back burner a lot. Mm-hmm. More, I got so used to it, and I think that was partly the socialization stuff. And now I'm mm-hmm. trying to come back in and say, I I know that I'm good at this. I know that I'm good at this. This is my best offering. I need to find ways to do this more.
1: Yeah, I go through that too. That chip on my shoulder, like the entitlement that comes from holding on to systemic trauma. And like in those times, it's so hard to soften myself and be kind but I know that I have to remember to decenter myself. Like, I always go there or I try to go there because I know that doing right by me means listening to those who are most marginalized. Jenea, you are so unapologetic with who you are. What did coming into your identity as a queer non-binary person and accepting who you are look like? Like, were you always this confident? Did boxing contribute to that?
0: I'm going to tell you something. Because, you know, you, you've seen me talk to people. Yeah. There was a point way up until my very early 20s where I couldn't walk into a room. And, uh, like, I couldn't walk into a lecture. If I was late, I would be outside, like, just back and forth walking back and forth, psyching myself up to walk into that room because I could not deal with all those eyes on me. Mm -hmm. It freaked me out. I could not deal with any kind of public attention. Um, All those eyes. And part of that was, you know, and it's funny because, you know, now I'm all like light skin, and everyone's like non-binary, you know, and it's all added everything. But when I grew up, when I was growing up, I – understood very well, very clearly that I was ugly. Um, it was very, it was repeated to me almost all the time. Um, my sister is like a little, you know, five foot little prom queen, you know, hair is just, my hair grows out, her hair grew down it towards, you know, towards the ground. And, you know, black world, good hair was a thing and it still is a thing, but it was very pervasive. And, you know, all of these things, all these insecurities... And then that that neglect and that need—it was just like it made every kind of attention. You know, it was too much. And uh, I talked about the feelings being too big, mm-hmm. and they were like those feelings are too big. The way that some of the way that some of these kids, some of these you know really elite, um, only grow up in suburbs. The way that some of those kids, like their contempt, is way too big for their body. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm mm-hmm. like, you're 16. How do you know this much contempt mm-hmm. for other people already? Mm-hmm. Um, for me uh, and for you, I think for a lot of us, the pain is just too big. What boxing did was it, it put me in my body everywhere else. It felt like I was floating out of it. Like I was just sort of always above myself, watching myself being like, you're an idiot. You sound stupid. Why are you doing this? Why are you going there? Why did you say so much? You know, you're oversharing or whatever. So then you don't say anything at all. And, you know, you can't think of the thoughts that you have really quickly. You're in, you know, for me, it was I'm in post-secondary and all these assholes are like and dickheads are just like, privilege doesn't exist. And I was like, it clearly does. Why is this even? But I didn't have this the tools yet to go back mm-hmm. uh, to, you know, the beginning of that conversation. And so um, boxing put me in my body. It forced me in because I was, this isn't for everybody, but a very sharp learning curve is getting punched in the face. Mm -hmm. And I was getting punched in the face a lot. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this has got to stop. This is not (laughs) sustainable. But what it did, and this is why I'm an advocate of boxing because you don't have to spar to do it. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Whatever you do in the world, whatever it is, it's going to come up in the ring. It's because it's adversity and it's really just you and yourself. If you shut down, it comes up, if you emotionally shut down, it comes up in the ring. If you rage, it comes up in the ring. If you want to cry, it comes up in the ring and it forces you to put a container around your feelings because you have a very clear objective and a greater goal. And um, and so for me, it forced me back into my body. And also just because I got lucky, the boxing club that I went to, it was a beautiful little community of people, weirdos and social pariahs and dykes and butches. And I was like, how did... How did I get here? This is great. You know, um, I was, I, you know, met and connected and built with like trans people before I fully understood the language of mm-hmm. trans people, um, you know, of what would become my people. Um, but it, it, it made me do that. And suddenly I started to walk differently in the world. My body wasn't something that I was ashamed of. I would hide my chest. You know, I, I mean, I still get these looks, but people are constantly on the street no matter where I am constantly trying to figure out if I'm male or female. Mm -hmm. Always. They, particularly dudes, they're very invested in that. Women are only invested in that if we're in a public bathroom, which makes sense because they look at me, they think danger. Um, But it's it's my eyes, my chest, my eyes, my chest. That's where they look over and over and over again. Mm. When you're younger and people, whole strangers are asking you on the street, are you a boy or a girl? What are you, what are you? That was always the question. And so, but suddenly my body was powerful. It didn't matter whether or not I had a chest. My, my arms were useful. They were fast. Um, I, I had a, my own relationship to, the, to, the, to my body outside of what the world expected of, of me. And it just changed things. I felt good about myself. And I was like, if I could feel good here, how can I replicate that in other places in the world? And it's, it's such a turnaround, so disorienting to not be considered hideous anymore to not be considered ugly anymore and I still get the stares but i they're funny to me like you know mm-hmm. I, the other day I think you know before the lockdown here happened again in LA uh, I was like I really I, I, I squeezed in a little outing to the grocery store mm-hmm. and I went to use the restroom and I guess this dude was waiting for his wife and I always pick I'm like you know who knows which one I'm gonna All go right. to. I go to turn into the women's washroom and he almost grabbed my arm and was like, hey, bro, it's this. It's He's like, hey, hey, it's, it's ours is there. And he looks at me and he s- doesn't know what to do. And he's trying to figure out what I am. And uh, then he was like, um, sorry, sorry, sorry. You know, and it's Wait. just, it's it's real. But now I can look at it with amusement because their story of me, of what I should be, is no longer the script that I stick to. It's my own. I get to choose who and what and where and when. And I don't have control over them, but I have control over me.
1: Right. And I
0: feel good in my own body now. I have agency that I just did not have before.
1: And um, you don't need to hear this from me, but I, I think you're beautiful.
0: Thank you. Yes. You know, but it's, it's good to hear. Yeah. It's good to hear. I mean, and and because it's the weight, the weight of it. Um, you're not just speaking to me like the physical. You're speaking to my spirit. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm speaking s- to all of it. Yes, but we we have spoken like we. I really do feel when you, you exchange something um, on the protest line, uh, you give something over to each other that is permanent.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, mm-hmm. The part that you gave me, you're never gonna get back. You've you've already grown around it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know the part that I gave you, I'm never gonna get back. It you know it's it's already grown around you yeah We're, we've changed each other with that exchange of energy we have changed each other profoundly
1: mm-hmm. in that
0: short exchange because all we have to offer there all we have to offer in that made up space in that made up world is ourselves mm-hmm. that's it you know and everywhere else in the world you are a person with connections you're a celebrity you're this you're that the other you know family great it's it's important but even still you have to do there's obligations and everything else there's no obligations out there. You mm-hmm. came of your own free will and volition.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You have nothing to offer but yourself. And I'm going to take it. Right. I'm going to take it. It's a good, you know, and, and I'm going to give you and you're going to take it because that is what, that is the purest, to me, it is the purest exchange um, that we have to, to give each other. I, I really want people to understand protest as a spiritual experience, um, mm-hmm. as something that is art. Um, as something that is supernatural, you know?
1: It certainly has changed my life forever. What brought you out there? You know, the first protest I went to was the Women's March. But before that, I already had started talking about my experience with immigration. In 2016, I wrote my book, In the Country We Love. And people were calling me an activist, but I actually had never shown up to an actual protest. Um, and so I went to the families belong together rally in DC where they asked me to speak and I wrote something and that was a chance for me to like, really express my anger and frustration with how families are treated in this country and how I really felt. I mean, I, families don't ever fucking deserve to be separated. Period. And that moment was so spiritual for me. And protests in general are spiritual and almost cathartic. You know, it's it's a time that we can all gather in a space and passionately talk about, scream out, sing out, the injustices that we face. It's camaraderie and communal healing. Yes. But I knew that was really powerful and I wanted to continue doing that. Yeah. Um and I wanted to be around people who did that. Um so yeah, so that was that was the first time I did that. And then I was like, okay, well now that I I you know now that I can go to these protests, I think now I can I can continue doing that. And then of course um. Uh, what what happened this summer uh, with George yeah. Floyd and uh, Ahmaud Arbery and and then I, I mean by this time you know when I was already talking about. My family's experience with immigration and how fucked up the system was. You know, now I had created a community, so that's where I met, you know, Kendrick and yeah. uh, Patrice Colors, and then and then following you, and 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 mm-hmm. so now I was just like, okay, this is the this is the people I want to be around. These are the people I want to listen to. These are the people right. I want to like be in community with. And so that's that's kind of how it it started. Um, I, I for for our for our listeners, you know, <laughs> can yeah. you? I know you're. Can you define, <laughs> you know, my producer wrote this. Um but, <laughs> but, but no, but like, you know, just to have a well-rounded episode, can you describe your role and also define the movement for our listeners? Cool. Uh, yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah, so, you know, I think anytime you're in a movement, you're playing a utility position. You're, mm-hmm. you're whatever's needed. Um, And I've been lucky enough to sort of act as our international ambassador for Black Lives Matter. So, um, you know, when there was the strike in Buena Ventura, I was out there. Um, You know, when people were turning up in Australia, I was out there. Um, You know, when folks are trying to figure out what to do in Palestine um, and in Israel, you know, I was out there. And, um, you know, when our cousins you know cousin chapters in in the uk uh when they were turning up i was out there and uh i've been you know when i came to the states I, every time ta- every time there there was some kind of turn up um anywhere uh crisis the national guard is called somebody is murdered by police brutality in the last several years uh, i've been out there when standing rock happened i was out there um mm-hmm. you know and so i just went where i was needed um and you know, I think folks forget, and I, so I just want to remind everyone, especially for those who are like, "What do I do? How do I, how do I do things? What do movements look like now? How do I just, you know, join?" I don't understand. We started out, I you know, and I'll I'll turn it around. So don't worry if this sounds like a sad story at first. It really isn't. I mean, of course, we all come into protest and movement because uh, that are born of tragedy. Mm-hmm. Um, this is kind of funny because it's very disorienting. People hated Black Lives Matter for six or seven years
2: Mm
0: -hmm. um, straight. Like it was, we were social pariahs. Uh, We were untouchable. Um, We could hardly get any kind of support. Um, We were denounced by people we looked up to. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and that was really, really hard. Um, It was so hard, actually. And we couldn't understand, you know, Uh, We were blamed for a lot of things. Uh, I remember, you know, in Dallas when police officers were shot um, at, uh, I got a call at like 4.30 in the morning by the BBC being like, you have to give a comment. And this was a person who had nothing to do with anyone, that anything to do with Black Lives Matter. At that point it was anyone who put on a Mm -hmm. T-shirt or said BLM was suddenly Black Lives Matter. And the media was so hungry for a single male representative and we refused to give them that. Mm. And consequently, they punished us, um, You know, whether intentional or not, by making it a free-for-all. And we had to fight to get uh, clear uh, with the world and with ourselves about what it is that we were going to do. And so I want to say that this is the power of trusting that you are doing the thing that's right um, over doing the thing that is popular.
2: Mm.
0: And we stuck to it and you know uh, you know you mentioned the women's march that was a that was hard when that happened Mm -hmm. because we were out there working and trying standing rock happened it was received very differently Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and that is not because native people have it easy hell no quite the contrary but it was everyone treated it as this mythical burning man experience and when the women's march happened we saw people throw their weight in and support in a way that black lives matter never got Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we weren't palatable,
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, but the Women's March was very palatable. And, you know, you have to be stronger than, than the, the thing inside that says they're treated better. Mm-hmm. It's not about that. You're like, what are the core issues here? You've got to step back. And if there's momentum around the Women's March, your job is not to say, how do I stop that? That sucks. You know, it should be us. No. You say, how can I turn this attention to where it needs to be? How mm-hmm. can we expand the lens out? Right. If people care about this issue, how can we broaden it and connect it to ours? We infiltrated other people's movements in a positive way, mm-hmm. but we, you know, it's how do we get in? We got to get in here. We got to support this. We got to, you know, work in people's uh, party. Good. We got to get in there. Um, mm-hmm. Color of change, got to get in there. You know, I did two years of color. <laughs> Make it sound like I did time. It's a great organization, <laughs> <laughs> but I worked there for two years right. because I, I wanted to build up my own expertise on digital campaigning. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it was a long battle. And so, for anyone out there, like, just know, like, if you have, if you want to, like, quote unquote, win at this shit, you got to Stacey Abrams it. You got to have a plan going in. Because, um, and this is about real organizing, not, um you know, you, because at any point in time, you absolutely can and should turn on your own phone, go on live. Make your own graphics or whatever it is that you want to do that moves you. Um, but when you're ready to connect to larger movements, do what feels right, not what's popular, mm-hmm. you know. And when this pandemic happened, nobody thought there was going to be a turn back to Black Lives Matter. I don't know. I, for all my expertise, I had no idea. Mm-hmm. And then when it happened, I was like, what the hell is going on? It was so disorienting because suddenly it was like, future, like, yes, like future outside of people, like on the streets. And I was like, what? Like, (laughs) what's going on here? And I realized that this pandemic, like, people were starting to finally ask the questions that we had been asking years ago that people who look like me and you were asking years before that and years before that. And because we had trusted what we were doing, and because we had started asking those questions when we did and we did, hadn't changed course, we were able to offer some answers.
2: Mm. And
0: that's how we got to, you know, there Neale Hurston, right? There are years that ask questions and there are years that answer. You know, and if you're asking questions about what you can be and who you can be and where do you start, that is exactly where you should be. That is a perfect and wonderful place to be. It means you are connected to the world. that Black Lives Matter started out as like, a Facebook post, we make it really fancy. We're like, it was a letter, a love letter to black people. It was a Facebook post. That was like three words, three, sorry, three lines. And, you know, you ran with it and nobody cared about it for those first two years or first year. And then a bunch of black organizers were like, let's go. And we did it. Um, We turned it into something bigger. Mm
2: -hmm. And that
0: doesn't mean that we were loved. Don't get into this work to be loved. Mm -hmm. Um, Get into this work to be light. Just like the brightest light that you can be, that's what you get into it for. Like it really is an opportunity to shine light on horror, on Mm -hmm. injustice, on yourself. Um, It's an invitation for others to do the same. You know, we actually need your light. If you are going in on an ego trip, you will, that's exactly what it will be. You will trip up and you'll do it and it could hurt people. It could hurt yourself. Um, so you have to find the way to uplift both. To
2: mm-hmm.
0: so lift yourself up,
2: mm-hmm. which
0: is a beautiful and, and profound thing. But you will not stay up if you have not rose people up with you. You need that. We mm-hmm. all need that. Toni Morrison says, you know, go wherever you're going to go, do whatever you're going to do, but bring your people with you. you got to bring your people with you. You need your team.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, it cannot be just you at the end of the day, Pedestals always get idols always get toppled, Um, you know, and and so those those are some of the core things um, that I know. And you know, organizing is changing, and movement building is changing. It's been all mass mobilization. You talked about it. You know, Occupy, Black Lives Matter, Standing Rock, the Women's March, Families Belong Together, No Muslim Ban, Parkland, Me Too, mass mobilizations. Critical mass is amazing, but if you don't have critical connections, it's not. It's nothing. It's nothing but the moment. Mm -hmm. So focus right now on building those critical connections with people who are just as hungry, just as fueled um, as you are. You can do anything you want.
1: More in a minute.
2: Start your Saturday with something that will grow your kiddos' brains and get their creative juices flowing.
0: Join us at LAS for a morning of multilingual story times, interactive performances, art making, and lots of kid fun. Bring the whole fam and join us for a super fun Saturday
2: at LAS in Pasadena on June 1st. Tickets at LAS.com slash events.
1: See you there. What do you want to create?
0: What do I want to create? Like, what is my, what is the legacy? Yeah. I want to leave behind? Yeah. good work. I don't know exactly what that looks like yet. Uh, you know, I've, I've just found myself in writing. Uh, it, it took a long time, longer than I thought. It's not that long, a few months. <laughs> but I'm so good at the this, the talking uh, to people in public. Writing, and this is, I, I didn't trust my writing without me to be there, to force it. Mm-hmm. I've, I trust myself when I'm saying the words, when I write them and I walk away.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: anyone can just do whatever they want with them or mm-hmm. think whatever they want or feel whatever. I was like, no, 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 I need to control those feelings.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> I had to let that go. And it took a lot of writing and writing and writing until I was bleeding onto the typewriter to, until I finally had just the truth, my truth um, on it. And so when that happens, I hope that it's good writing. Um, and good writing to me is that it, it, it touched people. Um, I hope that the legacy that I leave behind is one that is rooted in love and integrity and trust and protection um, and that uh, it helps the next generation it helps as a blueprint, it helps as a set of questions um, and then i i'm I get to be one of the brick layers and the foundation layers for this thing that we're this tomorrow that we're we're trying to create mm-hmm. you know I
1: do you see yourself as a teacher?
0: I think I have to be. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: I think I, like, I, I, I want to be like, oh, I do or I don't. But I think, it. you know, I fall into that role no matter what. Um, what I am not is the teacher. Right. Um, you know, I think, I think that expertise, I'm a big fan of it. Mm-hmm. I'm a big, 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 big fan of it. I just, I don't believe, and to be clear, you know, I'm not like, it has to come from an institution,
2: mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. I
0: think expertise needs to happen with two things, and they're non-negotiables. Years and peers. You cannot call yourself an expert unless there are you have peers around you who hold you accountable, who are just as committed to that thing as you are, who are also seen as that thing. Um, if, they, if you don't have that group to hold you accountable and to push you further you do not have expertise. If you do not have years behind you, mm-hmm. you do not have expertise. Those two things are non-negotiables to me to be calling yourself an expert um, in the world. I don't think you need a piece of paper, although that helps, um, perhaps, and, you know, and I don't think we're all, just because we have those things doesn't make us all natural leaders, and I don't think that that's a bad thing, right? Um, because we're all different leaders in different things you know, I might be a leader in this way and there's there's gonna be, there are a million other ways where I'm just not, I'm not the best one. Um, but years and peers are important and I don't want us ever, one thing I am concerned about with our generation and the generations after us is that we think we have to forfeit expertise for the sake of accessibility. I worry mm-hmm. about that.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: The objective should be to remove obstacles that make expertise inaccessible Um, but not eliminating expertise altogether so that we, you know, I want us to be in a world where all of our opinions matter and that we're still honoring and respecting expertise when it's in the room and when it has the right leadership qualities. Um, Or even if it doesn't, to be quite frank, we can be like, we can take the message, but the messenger is trash. You know, um, you know, we got to figure out those things because I struggle uh, with the culture where, you know, you watch a 30 second now this video. Mm Mm-hmm. And you feel like you're the resident authority on right. a matter. Um, I want us to be more disciplined than that.
1: Would, would you say that those are your, that's kind of your, your tool as, as a teacher? What, what would be your like your, your most useful tool to get through the people you're talking to, to, to get through to us?
0: My most useful tool? Yes. Like you mean voice, you mean like social media, what do you mean?
1: Um, no, I guess a tool within you.
0: Oh, hmm. Hmm. I don't know if it's a tool.
2: Okay.
0: I just, I think it's an orientation. Do you know, it's so funny. It's so annoying. Um, what? Tony Cade Bumbara once said that the job of the artist is to make the revolution irresistible.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I feel that way. That my job is to make the work irresistible and that means that I have to try even when I don't know how or don't feel like it to be irresistible Mm -hmm. that means that I have to be the best version of what I believe is needed at that time that I can be and I have failed at that at different moments Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Um, and they were learning moments for me Um, and I go in and I think I can't squander this because here's the thing you don't know who someone's going to be and I don't mean in that annoying way that's like they might be the next it director no i mean like (laughs) Like
1: me like when i go who was watching (laughs) who was there (laughs) tell me did they love me (laughs) god i am that was a good voice that is oh but that is me that is i that that is like and that's real that is so real
0: right but now it's for me it's like you don't know who the next that that person in the room is going to be like they could be the next great champion for a cause Mm. you know i see myself as like a boxing gym um, in a boxing club, you're lucky. You know, you 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 stay open. You got to stay open. And if you're lucky, every once in every ten years, or once in an entire lifetime, you get one champion. If you're lucky. So for me, I see myself as a boxing gym. If you know, I have to stay open, and the next great, the next great might come through. And if I have an opportunity to help shape, their, to help spark that passion. Or help be one brick on that person's path um, even if that greatness is in the container of their own homes or their communities or the world whatever it is if I have the opportunity to be one of those people I will not squander it I will not
1: you said once I, I, I heard you say once when you walk into a room with integrity No one can deny you. And I carry that with me. I often feel like I'm doing too much and I'm sharing too much. But I have to remind myself that it's coming from a genuine place. That it has integrity and that that matters. That's right. You taught me that.
0: Yes, I had to learn it. You know, I think we all have. Sometimes you just need the words to put it together. Um, But yeah, I was one of my first human rights jobs ever and like I said you know you don't get into this for jobs or for money so I was really lucky to get a job and it paid I think like 29,000 a year Mm -hmm. you know and I was just like I don't care I just love it and by the way that was like a lot to me then too so whatever you know and I was feeling like you know I was so lucky but I was going in and I was doing these trainings and uh they were largely with people who didn't have to look at somebody like me before, and certainly not in a teaching capacity. Um, they were middle-aged, um, white, middle-class folks in largely like, white communities and neighborhoods and organizations. And all of my coworkers were white women, very cool white women. We had our little, you know, Bumps, and then we laughed about them, and we figured it out, you know, and mm-hmm. figured out how to be there for each other. So there's there is a good model for that. And they, no matter how much I tried, and you know, I mean, I had a high top box fade. My gender identity was like Battlestar Galactica, like so. Uh, there was a lot for these, you know, these vanilla folks to take in. Um, but that, you know, but I was good at what I did. I wasn't as good as I am now. That took a long time, but I was pretty good. Mm-hmm. And no matter how much I smiled. Or how irresistible I tried to be, they wrote intimidating, aggressive, mm. unprofessional, inexperienced on the evaluations every time.
2: Wow!
0: I would be able to talk circles around my coworkers. Bless them, they were all talented, but you know, um, you know, it's just I was in my I was in my practice, and I started to be like, you know what? F this. I don't need this. I don't. I'm gonna get paid anyway. Like all I need to do is. You know, pick up my little check and pay my little rent, and I'm good. I don't need these people, whatever. And so I changed myself. Um, I changed my, I changed my relationship to joy. It didn't matter that I loved to do the work. I now let them um, shape what my relationship to that work was. And mm-hmm. it's, and it's fine to have those moments. That shit is demoralizing.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But I made that was the second rule that I had to make for myself, or maybe it was the third. Who knows? I got so many. Um, but. <laughs> it was never let someone else determine how much integrity you walk into a room with. Mm. Because I was now walking into a room less myself, less in love with this work, less in love with possibility because they just weren't in a place to receive it or me. There's, you're always gonna be around people who are not ready for you, who don't know how to love you, who don't know how to show up, um, who are so caught up in their own shit that they can't, You know, like people who get upset about gen, uh, pronouns, you're not getting upset because of the pronoun. You're getting upset because that the that anger that people feel that's not because someone is saying that they're a they or they're a he or they're a she or whatever. You're angry cuz that person had the audacity to choose who the hell you were, who the hell they were rather. That's really what you're angry about. And if they could choose that, it means that a lot of other things that we took as immutable truths are not as immutable as we thought. That's really what offends you, that you spent your whole life playing the game and doing what you, you know, and going through the hoops and maintaining the status quo and everything else. Now you feel like you're you're a defender of the status quo. So you see pronouns as a threat instead of an invitation, Mm -hmm. right? And so there's always going to be people who are not in the place to receive you. And we can't change for all of them. So what we got to do is just be that light. We don't have to make people see the light. We just got to be it Never let someone else determine how much integrity you walk into a room with. It takes a long time to get there, but the more you practice it, the easier it is. And then suddenly you don't know how to go back. You are so fundamentally changed, so fundamentally yourself everywhere you go that the idea of being anything else is absurd, is, it's not, it's um, uh, unfathomable. Mm. And you're loved so much by by for who you are you give yourself that but now because you've been able to do that you are you can be that for other people you can Mm. be that love that rock you know
1: i think i'm gonna be myself yeah i think that's what i
0: want (laughs) it's the most incredible gift in the world And and that's what this movement and everybody that i have met along the way has done for me they have given me permission to be myself but the most important person was to give myself that permission to trust that 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 person i wanted to be was who i who i wanted to be that i could be that person
1: mm-hmm. that
0: i could be the person that i thought that i could be when i was a kid you know yeah yeah thank you no thank you yeah no what a what a joy wow what a this
1: was such a thank you so much this was such a treat Thank I'm you.
0: grateful. And I'm like grateful I said, you. I knew that this was going to be good.
1: I knew it was going to be good. I can't believe this just happened. We did it.
0: We no longer are just making meaningful eye contact across a room.
1: I'm like, <laughs> I'm like through my mask, I'm like, do they see me? I'm like, yeah, can see that it. I'm taking in the information? I'm really listening.
0: We were, yeah. We exchanged yeah. something. Yeah, yeah, we did.
1: I know, well, obviously, because look, we're here.
0: We're here. We are here. That could not have happened if we were not in that space together.
1: Wow. I love being yeah. in spaces with you. I hope to be in more spaces with you. Thank you so much. Yeah. I, uh, what a joy. Yeah, no, I'm not okay is a production of LA Studios. Remember to rate and review our show. I just found out that it helps other people find it. So if you like it, share it with your friends. The more people we can get to have conversations about mental health, the better. If you've got a story you want to share about how you deal with mental health issues, send it my way. Record it on your phone's voice memo app and email it to ya know at com. And be sure to subscribe to our newsletter to get the latest episodes with a note from me. Recommendations from our listeners and our team and listener stories. Sign up at las.com slash newsletters. Jessica Pilot is our talent manager and producer. Our executive producers are Leo G and me, Diane Guerrero. Web design by Andy Cheatwood at the digital and marketing teams at Southern California Public Radio. Thanks to the team at LAS Studios, including Taylor Kaufman, Kristen Hayford, Kristen Muller, Michael Constantino... Robert Joe, Mildred Langford, and Leo G, and a special thanks to Brian Crawford. This program is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people. Additional support comes from the Angel Foundation, supporting transformational leaders, and by the California Healthcare Foundation, dedicated to improving the mental health care system for all Californians.